thank you and, and um, for making that possible. I thank you every year for that and for the difference it makes in these uh, young people. And um, they'll start gearing up for next year. So, and, and some of the pictures had uh, Emily Drayless in it. I said, you know, I share with you Emily's, uh, if you know Emily, she was in some of those shots. She's the, uh, recently graduated and she's on team for the summer. So she's there all summer. And she was, I don't know if it was fortunate or um, challenged. She was the ca- counselor in the cabin with our middle school girls this week. So they got to be with uh, Emily. So pray she's catching up on her sleep because she said, um, those girls talk a lot. So, uh, and, uh, so anyway, so wanted you to see that and, and be a part of that and, and just the, the, the neat stuff that was happening. All right, we're going to, uh, we're going to turn now. Um, to, to this morning's focus. In a, in a little while, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you want to open your Bibles, you can get there ahead of me. It'll be, as always, on the screens in front of you. Last week, we talked about um, Samson. Samson. We talked about David and Goliath, one of the, the most, if not the most, known um, stories. Why are you laughing at me? Um, it's going to be a long morning, I can tell. One of the, the best-known stories of, of the Old Testament uh, this is another great story of the Old Testament, not, as, not as, as well known. Some of you will be familiar with it, others of you may not be, but some rich truth for us to mind this morning. Uh, before we go there, I started thinking about this. Um, I was reflecting on some of the hardest things I've ever had to choke down in my life, and specifically in things that I've tried to eat over the years that are very difficult for me to um, to get from my mouth to my stomach. Maybe that's a way to put it. I, I was thinking about this when I was in Korea a couple years ago uh, after a Bible study that we a few of us had been invited to. Actually, the whole group, we were broken up into various groups around South Korea, around Seoul, and um, got invited by this family to their restaurant to have lunch, and they prepared a meal for us. And they had South Korean delicacies out, which was very, I mean, they were paying us a great respect. But one of those delicacies that was put on our plate was stingray. Have any of you ever eaten stingray? Okay, there's a reason it's not a delicacy in America. Um, and and it, was, it was very gracious of them. But I, I will tell you, it was every bit as slimy and difficult to swallow as you can imagine. Uh, with metal chopsticks, no less. Um, and, and it was just one of those things that, that I ate and was very thankful for their graciousness and their hospitality. And I did it with a smile on my face, but I was fighting every bite, you know, that kind of a thing. There are just things that, that are hard for us, for us to, to, to eat, things you don't like to eat, things I don't like to like. And I'm not even talking about, you know, extravagant or out of the ordinary things. I'm talking about everyday things. Uh, every year at Thanksgiving at my house, my mom made red cabbage. I can't stand red cabbage. I can't, I mean, I won't eat, if you, it, it, there has to be a situation where uh, it's, it's a matter of respect for me to eat red cabbage. I just, I don't do it. I don't like it. I don't like most fish dishes. I'm not a, a fish kind of person. So that's a hard thing for me to choke down. Tony and I were talking about this. Brussels sprouts for her. doesn't matter how I make them, because I'll make the, if she won't eat them. I can, I can season them a hundred different ways, fry them, cook them, bake them. It doesn't matter. She won't eat them. So Brussels sprouts for her. Um, liver uh, is one that, that came up. Cassie and I were talking. She said um, scallops. She had scallops not too long ago. She didn't like them at all. 
So there are things, and I, so I started thinking, what are some things that, uh, that, that you just can't choke down? What are some things you don't want to choke down? Canned asparagus? That sounds unpleasant. Yeah, okay. What else? Lima beans. I heard lima, lima beans was on my list too. That was one. Yep, lima beans is one. Lily pads, I used to call them as a kid. Spam, okay. Ooh, that got some response from you. All right. Anybody else want to volunteer something? I heard onions. What was that, Chuck? Macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese. Uh-oh, people are riled up now. Next thing you're going to say sweet tea, and now you'll be in big trouble. Uh, but actually, that's a great example. That's a great example because you're all thinking about stuff. Well, and, but we don't have universal things. There are certain things on my list that you're like, wait a minute, no, I like red cabbage. Or, you know, a lot of people like fish. Macaroni and cheese, definitely probably the only person in the room that has there on their list. You know, but the, so, so the idea is that there are different things that we took down. In fact, one of the things, the hardest meal I ever remember eating was a, as a kid was a pot pie. Was a, no, I love pot pies. Unfortunately, this one was flavored with lemonade on top of it. Um, and my parents made me eat it because they were mean. Um, and because I might have been misbehaving and not doing what I was told, and I might have spilled the lemonade on the pot pie through my own bad behavior, and I had to eat it. And I remember, I mean, to this day, I remember sitting at the dining room table at the, at the parsonage on Ventress Avenue in Maitland, Florida, dying to get out of it, and they made me eat the daggum pot pie. Um, there are things, though, that, that we all have. There, there's things that you don't like, things I don't like. The, the frame, the, the, the build here, is that there is one thing that we all have to swallow from time to time that I don't think any of us likes to swallow. Anyone want to guess what it is? Yeah, exactly. You know where I'm going. It's our pride. We have to choke down our pride because that is something that will have, can have very negative or, or devastating uh, implications on our lives spiritually and relationally when we don't learn how to swallow our pride or choke it down, as I called it this morning. But I don't know anybody that likes to or likes those moments or those situations in life when we, when we have to. That's what this story is about this morning. This story about from, from 2 Kings chapter 5 is about a man who had to learn to swallow his pride to be open to the blessings of God and the work of God in his life. So we're going to pick it up at verse 1, chapter 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure, cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him that the girl from, what the girl had, from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. 
The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. We pray, and I pray, God's blessing here on the reading of His Word. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we do pray that You would give us an understanding, an insight, that You'd help us to rightfully hear Your Word to us, Your invitation to us, Your call upon us. Lord, bless these moments and work through Your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, the story in its basic details is a, is a simple story. I mean, it's 14 verses here in 2 Kings chapter 5. So it's not, not very long, not very intricate, if you will. But it is incredibly significant. And, and maybe a little deeper than we initially recognize upon hearing it. First of all, the, the central character is Naaman. Now, it is, it is very interesting that Naaman is described in the very first verse as a great man. And that's interesting because of who Naaman was. This is Scripture written and a reflection on the history of Israel by the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And yet, this character of Naaman is not an Israelite. He's not, a, 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 he's not Jewish. He's actually a general in the Syrian army. Syria was the dominating power at the time that this is written. They're the, the power that is holding Israel under their thumb, if you will. And the king is Aram, and his general is Naaman. So, in many ways, you would expect him to be the villain of the story. But yet, he is described as a great man. In fact, the next few verses, it talks about him taking this young girl as his slave, this young Israelite. But yet he's described as a great man. In fact, the scripture goes on to say that the Lord had given victory to the king through Naaman. So God had worked through him. And, and, and it's important to recognize what the people see, what they recognize as they reflect upon God's work in their history and through their story is that as God often does, he works to discipline his children. And they had been unfaithful. 
And so they understood that Naaman was one of the instruments which God had called them to faithfulness and had disciplined them. And so they recognize that he's a vessel of God, even if he's not a servant of God, if that makes sense. He's not serving God, he's not worshiping God, but God had used him. And so they recognize this, this work that God has done through him. And so th- all of these things are true about Naaman, great general, military leader. There were some things about his character that were certainly admirable, but he's also suffering from leprosy. And that's the disease that puts the wheels in motion for this story. Because when he takes this young Israelite girl as a slave for his wife, she certainly learns of his illness, and she remarkably speaks up and says, Master, there's somebody in my homeland. There's a prophet who worships the God I worship, who serves the God I serve, who can heal you. And so he hears that, incredibly interested as anybody with an illness like this would be so he goes to his king and his king says sure go to israel i'll send you a letter i'll send you you know with the the resources go and get healed and that's the middle part of the story where he shows up at the king of israel and says i'm here to be healed and the king flips out because the king thinks he's being set up he thinks he's being set up because he doesn't have the power to do that and so he thinks that the king aram or, or, or uh, is setting him up for a fall so that he can then pick a battle but fortunately the prophet and it amazes me on a side story that the king doesn't think about his prophet because that's not the first place his mind goes but it doesn't but Elijah hears of this and he says send them to me send them to me and it is this encounter that and it's just a few verses but it's so significant it's really a story of what happens but it's also a story of what almost doesn't happen. And that's the story I want to really unpack, what almost doesn't happen and why it almost doesn't happen. And that is, though we know that, that Nahum will be, Naaman will be healed, he almost isn't because of his unwillingness to do the very thing that the prophet tells him to do. And I'm intrigued by that. What is it that gets in his way from responding immediately in obedience to what a simple task that the prophet tells him to do. And this brings us back to pride. Because there are two things that Naaman has to learn to stop doing before he can start receiving the blessing that God has for him. And the first thing that Naaman has to stop doing is he has to stop thinking so highly of himself. He has to choke down his pride. Now, I want you to hear the most significant thing that happens. It sets things in motion, and it's really, really easy to miss. It happens when Naaman shows up at the house of the prophet, and he brings his chariots, and he brings his horses, and he brings his money, and he brings all this grandeur, and he brings all this material wealth, and he brings all the signs of prestige and significance and influence. And this is what happens. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him. Elisha sent a messenger. You see the problem? Elisha doesn't come himself. That does not sit well with Naaman because Naaman's a celebrity. Naaman's General Schwarzkopf. He's He's military might, he's power, he's influence, he's importance. And Elisha doesn't even have the 
decency to come out and meet him face to face. He sends his messenger. And Naaman has a don't you know who I am moment. He has a don't you know who I am moment. We read about celebrities and politicians and athletes all the time who get in the press because they have a don't you know who I am moment. In fact, you Google it. You can go read lists of celebrities and politicians and athletes that have gotten publicity or gotten in the press and, and really gotten um, you know, a lot of negative publicity because they've had those kind of moments you know, get pulled over for a ticket don't you know who I am want to get to the front of the line don't you know who I am that drives most of us nuts because we love to see people who are on that high horse get knocked off that high horse don't we yeah we do until we're on the high horse because the reality is we all do it we all have those moments they may not get publicity but we all have moments in our life when our behavior, we may not say that. I mean, very few of us are good because, you know, most people were not known for, you know, by large masses of people. But our behavior acts that way. Anytime you behave in a way that you believe you are entitled to something ahead of others or before others, you're having a don't you know who I am moment. You ever skipped in line? A whole bunch of people because you didn't want to wait? Yes, you have. I know you have. I've seen some of you. Um... <laughs> That's a don't you know who I am moment. You're not saying it. But we, every time I drive down 301 and have to get in the line to get on the on-ramp. I'm going to step on some toes right now. On the on-ramp to uh, I-75 to head south, you know, where it loops. And you know, it starts backing up at the light before you get to the outlet malls. And, and people get all right. And there's that long line. People get all, And you always see those cars. And some of you might be that person that goes all the way to the front and then forces in. Okay? All right? If you're not going to the hospital, okay, get your button back. All right? <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Drives me nuts. Drives me crazy to see that. But you know what? Here's honest confession. I've done that once or twice. <laughs> because I've had those moments. You know, you're going somewhere, you want to get there. Oh, I'll just scoot up and get it. That's an, don't you know who I am moment. Right? I'm not saying it's, it's, it's you know, a horrible thing. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not usually a bad person. Um, but, but we do, my point is we do those things too. We just, they're more subtle. They're not as, as recognizable. But they're behaviors that we sometimes exhibit in our lives that we fall trapped to that say somehow I'm a little more entitled. That's what Naaman was doing. I, I went out when we were on our, our cruise um, I'm, I'm still an early riser even on vacation. That's just kind of the rhythm of my life now. So, so I'll get up, you know, 7 o'clock, and I'll go out on deck, and it's quiet, and you can, you know, hear the ocean, and it's nice. But you can also get some chairs early because the decks fill up on these ships if you've been on them. And, um, but there's a rule, 45 minutes. You get 45 minutes. If you leave your stuff and you're not back in 45 minutes, they're supposed to move your stuff. The problem is they don't do it. And I watch people. I got out there at 7. I watch people stumble out of bed, go up to chairs, put stuff on chairs, and they won't come back till 11 a.m. I mean, four hours. I, I wanted to move their stuff so bad. <laughs> but it was vacation, and I didn't want a confrontation. That's not what I'm on vacation. But again, those are, look, those are I'm entitled kind of moments. All right? So, so here's my point. We all do it from time to time. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying we should, but we all do it. Naaman did it. He had to learn 
that he wasn't nearly as important as he thought he was. In fact, you can see it in his words. Or you can hear it in his words, I should say. Verse 11, Naaman went away angry. You know, that's the response. The prophet says, you know, sends a message. Just go bathe in the Jordan, you'll be healed. You'll be cleaned of, you know, you'll be, your, your, your um, illness will be uh, taken away. Your, your skin will be restored. And he goes away angry. And this is why he says, I thought that he, the prophet, would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. In other words, I thought I'd get the show. I thought I'd get the show. Naaman had to first learn to take himself off the high horse. Then he had to learn the second thing. He didn't get to dictate to God how God was going to act. He didn't have all the answers. See, he thought he did. He thought, okay, if it's going to go this way, this is how it should go. This is, first, that's why he wanted the prophet. Come wave and do the big thing for me. But then even then, he says, but you know what? If you're going to make me bathe in the river, that's fine. That's fine. Let me bathe in the river. But send me to Damascus where it's beautiful. Send me to the clear rivers of Damascus. Don't make me bathe in the muddy water of the Jordan. Don't make me go to some beach up north. Send me to the Caribbean where it's crystal clear and warm. Right? That's what he wants. He has to let go of his pride, and he has to let go of this notion that he has the answers. He's asking the question with the answer in mind. Can you heal me? Yeah, you can heal me, and let me tell you how I think you should do it. All right? And it's about swallowing his pride, choking it down, recognizing it's not that he's not important. It's not that he's not a great military leader. It's not that he's not a man of character, but he isn't as important as he thinks he is. Swallow your pride. Let go of the notion you have the answers. And this is what he has to do then. When he learns to swallow his pride, let go of those. In fact, I, I thought about it like this. We learn table manners as kids, right? One of the things we learn for table manners is you don't talk with your mouth full. In learning to chew on his pride, it allowed him to start to listen with his ears. He needed to stop talking and start listening. In fact, you said that in your prayer this morning. It was really cool when you said, help us to listen. Help us to listen. That's what Naaman had to do. He had to listen. And the story's book ended by examples of him listening. And listening to people that were in social stature less than him. Servants. That begins with his willingness to listen to a servant girl who says, Naaman, go to Israel. There's a prophet who can heal you. And he responds. But his book ends at the end. After he has his temper tantrum, after he stomps off and goes away mad, his servants come to him and say, basically, are you out of your ever-loving mind? That's what they say to him. Are you crazy? If he had told you to do something spectacular, you'd have done it. He tells you basically to go get wet. And you're not willing to do it? They're calling him out. Now, they're doing it carefully. Because they're servants and he's a military leader, but that's what they're doing. And here's what's important for Naaman. Yes, he has a temper tantrum. Yes, he has to check his pride. Yes, he has some less than glorious moments here. But he does it. But he does it. He listens. And he bathes in the Jordan. And he is healed. And there's more to the story afterward about a conversion and, and some change of heart in his own life. But, but he's healed when he learned. He became whole physically. He experienced this movement of God spiritually when he shut his mouth and opened his ears and started to listen. Swallowed his pride 
and humbled himself to obedience. And I started to think about that in my life. The times in my life when God desperately wants me to stop talking and start listening. Too often, I'm quick with the answers. Too often, I'm, I'm quick with the confidence that I know how God's going to move and how God should move and what God wants me to do and who God wants me to be. And in doing so, I do a lot of talking and not nearly enough listening. And I wonder how many times I miss the movement of God because I'm too busy telling God how it's supposed to go. I wonder how often we need. We've had some conversations this week that got me thinking about this. We were talking about the, you know, some of the things in our country that divide us. And as we come to this 4th of July weekend, uh, you know, I hope that we, and with all the festivities, could absolutely celebrate the blessings that we enjoy and the, the freedoms that we, we have and the price that's been paid, all the, all the things that we should be grateful for. I also challenge you to be in prayer for our country. Uh, I said this morning, I said, pray for your leaders. And I don't mean the ones you like. I don't mean the ones you voted for. I mean, pray for all of them, for the decisions and the influence they have and the direction of our country. Pray for that. But here's what I pray for. I pray that we'd find some common ground. I don't mean common ground that we're all going to agree. But that's never going to happen, nor should it. But we were talking this week about how do we begin to restore civility to the dialogue. And you know, I start to think about that. I think part of the way we do that is we stop talking and we actually listen to each other. I, I turn through the news, the cable shows, and I see a lot of people arguing. I don't see a lot of people listening. I'm not telling you that you have to listen to change your opinions, though that may happen, or change what you believe passionately about, though that may happen, but learn how to listen. Because we just may hear God in the voice of another person in places that we least expected. I guarantee you Naaman didn't think that a servant girl and other servants were going to be the voices of God in his life, but they were. I wonder how many voices God's placed in our life that we've tuned out because we think we know the answers. We think we've got it all figured out or we're just, quite honestly, unwilling to swallow our pride because it gets stuck right here. Naaman, fortunately, was willing to do that. He finally stopped talking and listened. He bathed in the Jordan. And he was made whole. I wonder who God has put in your life that he's desperate for you to listen to because he has a word for you. Swallow your pride. Stop thinking we have all the answers. Listen. 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 And respond in obedience. Amen? Gracious Lord, we, uh, we admit it's hard. It's a hard thing to do because we're passionate. We believe strongly what we believe, our faith, our views, our convictions. And there's nothing wrong with that strong strength of, of belief. Lord, help us to learn when there are those times we need to listen and allow your spirit to move in new ways and challenge us and direct us, change us, restore us. That's what you did for Naaman. May it be true for each of us as well. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.